one of the things that flow actually is is a sign of mastery. If you drop into a flow while doing skills, you know you can do them without the state kind of thing. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Peter Diamantes. Abundance is not about providing everyone on this planet with a life of luxury. Rather, it's about providing all with a life of possibility. My guest today, Stephen Kotler, is a world-renowned author, journalist, and entrepreneur. He's one of the world's leading experts on human performance and executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He's also the author of many books, including The Rise of Superman, Stealing Fire, The Future is Faster Than You Think, and a new one, NAR Country, which will be published by the time you hear this. Stephen's been named one of the top 100 world thinkers by foreign policy and called one of the top 10 brains in science and technology by Discover. Stephen, thanks for joining us on the Elevate podcast. It's great to be with you. So I always like to dig in the personal background a bit, but I just wanted to start off uh, with a high-level question for you. How do you define flow and how does someone know that they are in it? Oh, that's a great place to start. So flow, technically, scientifically, is defined as an optimal state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where we feel our best and perform our best. That probably doesn't get you far enough. So one level path, it refers to any of those moments of rapt attention and total absorption. You get so focused on the task at hand, everything else just starts to disappear. Sense of self, sense of self-consciousness is going to diminish. Time's going to pass strangely, right? It'll speed up. Five hours will pass by in five minutes, or it'll slow down. You get a freeze frame effect. Anybody who's been in a car crash and throughout, all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. How do you know if you're in flow? This work uh, was originally done by sort of the godfather of flow psychology, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It's one of the most well-validated facts in psychology. Flow has six core, quote-unquote, phenomenological characteristics. It's a fancy way of saying this is how the state makes you feel. And I just listed a couple of them. So there's complete concentration on the task at hand, a merger of action and awareness, the diminishment of the vanishing of self, time dilation or time distortion. We don't feel peak performance internally. What we feel is a sense of control and mastery over things that we normally can't control. Feels easy, right? Yeah. Things, difficult things start to feel a lot easier. And finally, the state is ecstatic. It's overjoyous. The technical term is autotelic, means an end in itself. When something is autotelic, it means I, I, I love it. I love how it makes me feel. I can't wait to do it again. That's what flow does for us. So when those six conditions show up, that's how we know when we're in flow. The last thing you need to know is flow works like any other sort of feeling, meaning like take anger. You can be a little irked. You can be homicidally murderous. It's the same experience. So there's micro flow when yeah. those six conditions show up. This is you go to work, sit down to write an email to your coworker, get so sucked into what you're doing that an hour goes by, right? Or macro flow. This is a full-blown quasi-mystical experience when all of those uh, experiences show up at once and they're turned up to 11. So I'm curious then, what, what, how would you characterize the opposite of flow? <laughs> so it's interesting. We just published, we meaning uh, the Flow Research Collective, and it was myself, uh, my director of neuroscience, Michael Menino, and a couple of other neuroscientists uh, in neuroscience and, and biobehavioral reviews, um, a paper that sort of examines uh, flow state onset. And we compare flow 
to traumatic stress. So one way to think about it is uh, traumatic stress can produce learned helplessness. Yeah. Right. This feeling of I'm powerlessness. There's nothing I can do. Martin Seligman did the original research on that. We argue that flow is literally the inverse and neurobiologically it appears to be the inverse. It's a sense of learned powerfulness. So to put it in, in terms that are a little more familiar, we know trauma produces PTSD. Flow tends to can produce post-traumatic growth or what they call post-ecstatic growth. It's the same thing you get from post-traumatic growth, but without the trauma. You get it from hard work. You can get post-extratic growth from like running a marathon, right? Or teaching yourself in the case of in our country, how to park ski, doing something very difficult, very physical. That's traumatic for the body in a sense, but you grow on the other side of it. That's sort of, so the opposite of flow, hard to say, but it appears to be traumatic stress is as close to, as to what we can get. Interesting. That's yeah, right. That would, I guess that sounds like a polar opposite of what it would be. So I, you know, I normally would ask this first, but I, I wanted to, to dive right in, but you you have a fascination, right? With human performance. So I'm always curious, like, did this start when you were young? Like, did it come on later? What was it something personally or something you just saw in the world? Like what, where did this interest begin? Um, I started my career as a journalist and journalism is this really cool field uh especially when i was entering where it, if you're curious and you're willing to work hard and you can do good things with language you can get paid to investigate your curiosities and i was fascinated by two things i was fascinated by uh neuroscience and specifically i was really i was interested in human behavior i wasn't particularly interested in, in psychology neuroscience was sort of mechanism, right? I wanted to know how people actually worked and, and neuroscience gave me mechanism. And in the 90s, when I started looking at these questions, I was already a science geek, but neuroscience started looking at behavior. So how do people work rather than like, what does this neuron do or this brain region do? It, we Emotions became a topic. Consciousness became a topic. We started to figure out attention and focus and things like that. So I, I got very lucky. And my second interest was action sports. Play, playing or, or, or doing, I'm guessing. Well, playing, I was a, I was a lifelong skier and a okay. skater and uh, a windsurfer and a little bit of a surfer. And there's two things that happened that one was when I came into this in the 1990s, action sports was like a punk rock subculture, not a mainstream activity. It's not in the Olympics. The X Games are just getting started. And I was living in these communities. I was reporting on what was going on. If you know anything about action sports in the 90s, it's referred to as the era of impossible. More impossible feats get done than ever before in history. Stuff that nobody believed was ever going to happen. Suddenly, it, it's being done so much, it's being iterated upon. And it's this flowering in human performance, unlike almost anything anybody's ever seen. And I knew enough about human performance by that point to know that what I was seeing was very weird. Normally, when you're looking at really good human performance and things like that, you're seeing things, people who had, you know, good upbringings and, and, and lots of opportunity and they, and they had money to afford them opportunity and things along those lines, they had education and the communities I was living in, most of the folks I knew came from broken homes and I had shitty childhoods. They had very little money. There was very little education. There was a lot of substance abuse and risk taking in these communities. And normally, if you put that together into a community, people die young or go to jail. They don't reinvent what's possible for the human species. So that's what I was seeing. I wanted to understand it. And I always say it's a really different thing when you see the impossible on a screen versus like you go drinking with your friends on a Friday night, then you go into the mountains on a Saturday morning and your friend does something that for all of recorded history has never been done and nobody believed was actually physically possible. It's a very different experience. And I wanted to understand where it was coming from. 
simultaneously, and this is, this is the other thing that, that I think will click for you. I had been skiing my entire life by that point. I'd ski bummed after college. I thought I was an expert skier. I could ski any double black slope in America, you know. Then I got onto an actual mountain with actual professional athletes. And it was, I mean, I like I didn't even know what sport they were playing. I'd never seen anything like it. And I had been doing this thing as hard as I possibly could for a very long time. So trying to figure out how the hell they were doing, that certainly, you know, it deepened my fire, especially, you know, around these questions. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As a skier, I'd love to know the answer to that because like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good skier. But yeah, I see these people too. And it's like... I don't know. Is this a thing we have to go back and learn in an earlier age and learn without the fear? Or is it really all? No, I, I, so I, I started chasing professional athletes around mountains around the time I was 23 years old. To put it in context, I, the first time I was, we were all getting to the chairlift together at the same time. I was in Jackson Hole. I was already in my mid-40s. It took me 20 years to learn how to keep up, to ski at that speed and to be that strong. Well, you got I had better to, over that time as you moved oh, yeah, out of your I've, peak. Yeah. I've not – I'm better now at 55 than I've ever been before, hmm. for sure. What about the fear factor, though? Some of it is some of it is psychological, right? Do you, do you think – and some of it is – I don't know. Can anyone get that much better or do you need to have talent? Anyone can get significantly better. Now there are, there are, so I'll give you an example. If you learn to ride a bike in early childhood, that was like the first thing you learned. Yeah. It's going to be hard to learn how to ride a skateboard, surfboard, or a snowboard 
later in adulthood. You can, you can do it. You can get good, but it may be hard to get truly great because your body got really used to hips forward stance, yeah. right? That's one thing that's a little hard to court. You can do it, but it's a lot more work. But the, so the, uh, besides that, the answer to your question is this. And this is really at the heart of what in our country. So we know from flow science, flow is optimal performance and it's how we get better. For this to make any sense, I have to tell you a couple of things. When we're in flow. Well, because I was going to, I'm curious not to, not to interrupt you on that, but I, I would think that you weren't improving in flow. I would think of sort of the manifestation of your improvement and it's almost subconscious. So that is not actually, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's totally, you're totally, you're wrong. You're completely wrong. I don't know how else to say it. Now there is learning without flow, but let, let's think about okay. what happened. Let me tell you what happens in flow. So first of all, flow is not a binary. You're not in the zone or out of the zone. There's a four stage cycle. The body moves through the first stage is struggle. This is a learning phase. This is a loading phase. You are loading and overloading the brain with information. In struggle, what you're trying to do is you're trying to automatize movements, take movements from the conscious level. I can, I have to learn to think about this consciously. I can perform this unconscious without thinking. Now, usually when you're learning difficult sports, there's a bunch of like tiny little micro things that you're learning unconsciously flow happens when you get five or six or seven of them snap together at once you get a much greater pattern a schema so flow is from an evolutionary perspective one of the reasons flow happens is it's literally a sign of mastery it is really good for humans to know when they've mastered something especially hard yeah. physical skills one of the things that flow actually is, is a sign of mastery. If you drop into a flow while doing skills, you know you can do them without the state kind of thing. The other thing that happened that is worth knowing about flow is that flow states have triggers. If you want more flow, uh, these triggers are used for your toolkit. And the short version of how they work is flow follows focus. It only shows up when all of our attention is right here, right now. And the most important of flow's triggers is what's known as the challenge skills balance. I pay the most attention to the right here, right now, to what I'm doing when the challenge slightly exceeds my skill set. You want to stretch, but not snap. It's a little tricky because if you're timid, shy, a little risk averse, you're going to have a tough time because you're outside your comfort zone. Not very far, but you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you are a hard charging type A type, you've got a, a bigger problem because you're going to take on a challenge that's much greater than the size of this actual sweet spot just for the thrill of it. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't take on those challenges, but you've got to chunk it down. So what's in front of you is really small. Now you asked a question about fear, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to have to go one level deeper here. As we age in younger people, 25s up to the 35s, perhaps most people, um, let's talk about physical activity. That challenge skill sweet spot is usually about 4% wide, meaning the challenge is about 4% greater than your skill set. That's a metaphor. That's not a hard figure. It was an, originally the calculation was done by a Google mathematician, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. They said it was a back of the envelope. We're guessing. We took it into the Flow Research Collective, hammered on it for a couple of years. It's really freaking hard to test. And we found they were right. But we don't think that, like, that's not still a metaphor. It's not hard and fast. But because of, I don't know if you're familiar with this term. Do you, are you familiar with the term allostatic load? I am not. Allostatic load is a really fancy word for all the weight of all the trauma you've experienced in your life. So as an athlete, say you've fallen down a bunch, broken some bones, torn some things, you're getting more cautious over time. There's residual scarring. It affects physical performance. That's allostatic load, among other things. As we age, it tends to shrink a little bit. So that challenge skills sweet spot, what? At 20 for us might be four or five or six percent 
gets down to like one or 2%. So the point is you have to go a lot slower. My motto, I've been teaching, you know, in our country is a book about me teaching myself how to park ski at age 53. Now I went into it. I was a good skier, but I had zero park skiing experience. I couldn't throw any tricks. I'd never spent any time in a drain park. And this is something that for seven to 12 different biological reasons is supposed to be impossible for anybody over the age of 30 to really get good at. Um, so of course I decided to see if I could get good at it in my fifties. And, um, I made startling progress in a single season. My ski partner, uh, who's 20 years younger than me and had been a former sponsored athlete and had stopped competing because of injury was using the same protocol. He got incredibly far, farther than he thought. And the protocol is one inch at a time. What we learned, Ryan and myself together is cool, but it's a very small pilot study and doesn't work for other people. And is this just us? We took these same methodologies that based on going very, very slow and a couple other things. This past year, we took 20 older adults, ages uh, 30 to 68, most of them intermediate skiers or snowboarders, and in four sessions, moved them up the needle. And so we've taken the theory and, and used it in ourselves. We used it in a study group. We've taken it out of action sports and used it just with regular people, and we see the same results. So the answer seems to be yes. In fact, the meta thing, the idea that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, it's ridiculously wrong. In your brain goes and undergoes incredibly positive changes in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s that make certain kinds of learning a whole lot more easy. So all of those ideas are are essentially not not what we currently believe scientifically. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's dive into the the new book since we're in our country. So can you just talk about the 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 premise of the book, the key things, and also because I have a lot more questions based on you said what what is park skiing? Just to set that for people so they understand okay. what, what the challenge is. Park skiing is a discipline in skiing that involves doing tricks off jumps on rails, on boxes, on wall rides, on features. It is dangerous. 
It is very, very, very acrobatic. If you saw the Olympics, it's Eileen Goo, yeah. right? Yeah, you can hurt yourself on this stuff. Only with, yeah. only with gray hair yeah. um, in, the, in this particular case. So very acrobatic, very dangerous, uh, very complicated. And what in our country is, is so the traditional theory of aging, what you could, what I like to call is the long, slow rot theory. The idea that our mental and our physical skills decline over time. There's nothing you can do to stop the slide has almost been completely disproven most of the skills that we used to think you know decline over time turns out they're user to lose it skills and you never stop using those skills you can retain and even advance them very late in life even much later than anybody thought possible on top of that the idea that an old dog can't learn new tricks there's a whole bunch of science that comes out of three fields in body cognition flow science and network neuroscience and neurodynamics and possibly some stuff out of adult development that I took and said, you know, if this stuff is true, I should be able to combine it and use it to teach myself how to park ski in my 50s, which is supposed to be impossible for, for anybody that age to get good at. And that's what we did. The book chronicles that experiment. It tells the story of that. It also, it does two things. It's a, a breakdown of peak performance aging and all, all the stuff that I've been talking about sort of fits under the rubric of peak performance aging. And the other thing that the book does is my previous book is The Art of Impossible. And it's really about applied peak performance. And it looks at motivation, it looks at learning, creativity, and flow, the four major categories of cognitive peak performance. But it's a it's a science book and it's a, it's a little bit of a how-to, but what I couldn't really do in it is give you a day-to-day, here's how you apply that on a day-to-day basis because the book would have been a thousand pages long and nobody would have read it by then. But that's sort of what I got to do in our country because it, it's a performance diary in a sense that follows this experiment through the season and it allows me to say, hey, this challenge skills balance that you and I have been talking about, here's how you apply it in this situation. Here's how you apply it in this situation here and that sort of stuff. And nobody's really been able to do that before in, in, or nobody's really done it before uh, in writing. So that's what in our country is. So what what is the because I know what I know park speaking like what is the one inch like it seems like some of these things you have to take a leap to go on this bar or off this bar so what yeah what does it look like now so so let me tell you what we did with our athletes we took yeah. park skiing park skiing has eight foundational movements a shifty a grind a slash a crouch jumping a 180, and that can be done as sliding on the surface is slow or in the air, and a 360, again, sliding on the surface is snow, in the air or on a wall ride, whatever. Those are the foundational moments. We, You want to start with something that you can do completely automatically with almost zero fear and 100% chance of execution. Out of the things I just listed, you, you said earlier that you can ski, so I know you know how to hockey stop. A hockey stop done while going down the hill is a slash or a grind, depending on where you put your weight. So anybody who can ski has that in their arsenal already, even if you're just an advanced beginner. You know how to do that. So there's your one inch. You can do a lot of really amazing, amazing, fun, cool tricks off the slash, off the ground. There are, I mean, there's a, I can go on about like there are reasons you might want to start thinking about doing these kinds of things later in life as well action sports are really sort of an amazing anti-aging medicine if right. you sort of understand what they make possible yeah there, there are some things i was going to ask you this before there's some things though where 
it is just so i've been mountain biking more and i bike with someone who's way too good for me which creates a whole set of Mm -hmm. good and bad and he's older too um there are some things going downhill or some challenges where you actually just have to mentally commit to go over it or not and then solve it afterwards right that there <laughs> are yeah there i mean there is so there is no way around what you just talked about there yeah. are moments right the first time i don't care how many times you do a sliding spin 180 right yeah. there is going to come a point where you're going to solve a lot two inch yeah. two inch well i mean just like spun around backwards on, on a mountain right yeah that you've done but yeah. there's going to be a come point where you have to actually jump into the air and do that for the first time on skis and land backwards and as it turns out, much like on a mountain bike, if you've had this experience, you know, on the mountain bike, a lot of these things are much scarier in your head than in real life. So there's yes. a mental game with it. There is the and, moment of commit, though, right? Yeah. And yeah. And there's also let's not kid ourselves with action sports. And this is across the board. Mountain bike is a classic example. The equipment's designed to work at speed. So if you're riding down a boulder strewn lava bed for example um which shows up on a lot of dh mountain bike mountains um you try to do that slow your wheel's going to go into every dip and you're going over the handlebars and it's terrible if you do it quickly you skip over the surface of the rocks now somebody one has to tell you that or figuring out for yourself is a, is a really terrifying thing right like if somebody doesn't sit you down and say look the equipment is designed to work at speed and if you're willing to do 10 miles an hour here the bike is going to be your friend rather than your enemy, then it starts to come together. So you talked a little about this before, but I, I know one of the ideas in the book is that aging can be a cognitive advantage rather than a decline. Is that the use it or lose it? Or they're actually... No, there's no, yeah. exactly. So this is, this was the originally, this work was originally done by a, a, basically the man who invented the field of, of geriatric psychiatry, Gene Cohn. He was the uh, first director of the NIH's National Institute on Aging. He did, he did some of the biggest studies on, on aging anybody's ever done. And he was the first to realize this. This has since been well validated again, but he started working on this a, a lot earlier than other people. And what he figured out is there are gateways. So now we'll can come back to this idea. Let me tell you what the superpowers are. Yeah. Let me tell you what happens. And then let me talk about gateways, meaning there's some shit you got to do to get here, um, what psychologists call moderators, if then conditions. But in our 50s, if we get it right, we gain access to whole new levels of uh, new thinking styles, first of all. So you you learn to th uh, divergent thinking massively increases in our 50s. Abstract reasoning increases in our 50s. Whole new levels of intelligence, wisdom, empathy, and creativity are unlocked in our 50s. And wisdom is a clearly definable psychological and neurobiological trait. It's a little different than expertise. Um, but what's cool about wisdom and expertise actually is that both of them are neuroprotective against cognitive decline. So if you want to stave off cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, these are sort of widespread diseases in the brain or the localized diseases in the brain often. So what you want to do is you want like widespread neural networks, wisdom, uh, wisdom is a sort of spread out throughout the brain. Same thing with expertise. So if you really want to preserve brain function late in life, you, lifelong learning really matters. Those four sort of superpowers of aging are, are sort of phenomenal. I like one of the reasons I, I like to point this out to people is in, in bold, for example, uh, or abundance, which you, you quoted, uh, the book I wrote, Peter, uh, Diamandis to open the show in those. And when, when we were, 
doing a lot of those books and speaking around the country. I was talking to so many CEOs. I still talk to a lot of CEOs because of my work at the Flow Research Collective. And almost all of them lately or the past five, six years, training and hiring is a, is a conversation I've been having a lot of. And the skills CEOs seem to be really looking for in the 21st century are is creativity because the rate of change and the rate of innovation is massively accelerated. Without creativity, there's no way they're going to keep pace. And empathy and wisdom. For I mean, if for no other reason, Jeff Bezos told them that, you know, customer-centric thinking is the mantra of 21st century business. Right. And if you can't, you're not empathetic or wise, nobody's going to be able to think like your customers. And that was like support A. Point B is like, especially after what, you know, the rise in, in, in social justice, much necessary rise, like, like you say, in social justice that we've seen, empathy in the workplace, being able to collaborate and cooperate with all kinds of people is the secret to great teamwork. So like these skills are really, really crucial and they're hard to train for and they're hard to hire for. But adults in their 50s, properly trained adults in their 50s and 60s and 70s gain access to this stuff. And there's neurobiological changes that that unlock all this and there's psychological gateways. Well, you're also making me think, I mean, we're talking about human performance in sports, but like what about, again, the workplace and aging? I think, you know, there's a, there's a perception in certain come oh person's 40, 50, 60, they don't get it, right? No, it's, I mean, I, it's yeah. they literally, it's the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever seen. I, I've said this over and over again. I yeah. say this in our country at the end of the book. If you actually understood what you're talking about, a properly trained 50 to 80 plus, it's the dream, dream employee of the 21st century. It's like everything you need, but there's caveats because not every over 50 person gets access. To the, there's things you have to do along the way. So we know, for example, uh, out of uh, the Harvard Adult Development Project, these 100-year studies of adult development, that there are gateways of adult development. So by 30, you have to solve the crisis of identity. By 40, it's something called match fit. Match fit is an economics term. It means there's a tight fit between who you are as a person, your values, your strengths, and what you do with for a living, what you do with most of your time. And then in your 50s, you have to forgiveness matters. Um, you have to forgive yourself and forgive those people who have done you wrong. If you go through those things and then in your 50s start training up creativity and uh, risk-taking because your risk aversion will counteract some of this stuff, um, then all the new levels of intelligence, creativity, empathy, and wisdom really open up to you. And you can take full advantage of the cognitive developments that happen in the second half of our lives. Interesting. So that's a very different. Are there certain situations? Are there certain types of companies? Are there certain scenarios? You know, let's say someone would be a. I, I keep thinking of that movie with um, the intern, the intern with uh, Robert De Niro, right? Where he he's like interning yeah, yeah, for this. I thing, remember that. Right. Yeah. So there's some ones where like maybe that person would be a high performer, but the the culture, if it's if it's all twenty year olds, like it just may feel a little weird, right? I I mean, I... Well, it's... I mean, the other thing that we know is that all the societies, age-friendly societies really, really matter. And there are a lot of them. And all that means is 20-year-olds are friends with 60 and 70-year-olds. You have those things. And I, you know, I got to tell you, by the way, I run the Flow Research Collective. I'm 55. My CEO is 28. He just made the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And we have a blast working together. Like we've been doing, we've been working together for eight years yeah. now. I started working with him when he, when he was 20. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, there's this whole reverse mentorship stuff that's big too now, right? Like kind of, again, you should you should have someone above you and, and below you to learn from. And well, and the other the other thing I, I have to emphasize this that in for really for a lot later in life, but they tell you, I mean, the, the technical term is re- make replacement friends. You do not want to find yourself in your seventies and your eighties and your nineties. Most of your, your friends are all your age and you're healthy and you're doing well. You're going, they're going to die off and you're going to end up very alone. And trust me, when I like, I have, I know several people who are in that very situation. Brilliant minds. Um, and almost everybody they know has died off. And I'll call them to check in on them. And I'll, they'll be like, oh, Stephen, it's great to hear from you. I haven't talked to anybody in a month. <laughs> These are you're like, that's that's not healthy. You should not do that. Interesting. So look, we've been we've been getting smarter and more effective at optimizing you know human performance for a while now. Um, you know, you start thinking about, you know, what what is the next frontier? Is it how far can we push that do you, before we start getting into cyborg type stuff? I mean, what do you what do you think the next wave is? Well, I mean, first of all, we're already in the cyborg wave. I mean, if you want to talk about regenerative medicine, I mean, like, are there bionic limbs that put energy back into the system at this point? Yeah, for twenty five percent of the human body is replaceable by bionic limbs that can add energy to the system, and I think like sixty to seventy percent of the body is replaceable by bionics at this point. So, like, that's already real. Um, I'm less interested in those kinds of interventions. I think the next frontier is so embodied cognition, which is is uh, an idea that's been growing for the past twenty to thirty years, is the idea that the brain we're not heads on sticks. The brain doesn't just sit up here; it's embedded completely in the body, and the body is embedded in the environment, and that's actually how we think and function. And we're just starting to understand that. So weird findings out of there if you the brain was a fundamentally is a machine designed for movement so it's better when it moves if you couple movement to language learning say you're trying to learn a foreign language and you're you're saying a foreign word and you're teaching it yourself you couple the movement learning rates go through the roof that sort of thing this is sort of like what's going on at the frontier of neuroscience and it's really my study in our country is one of the first sort of major like in the real world that's taken body cognition and really apply it in a you get it wrong you could really hurt yourself kind of scenario to that i like where that's going to lead us also we are just at the sort of front edge of for example the the paper we just published on flow is the very first look at the neural dynamics the network level of flow state onset and when that just this paper right first step but we found five different neural markers for flow state onset that nobody's seen before doing this work and that's the kind of stuff that that neurodynamics is going to start to reveal so i think the real frontier is probably in body cognition like a lot of the stuff i covered in nar just you know 10 years matured all right steven last question for you this is uh it's multivariant it could be it could be singular repeated personal or professional but what's a mistake that you've learned the most from? A mistake that I've learned the most from. I'll, I'll t- just tell you what, what. Yeah, I don't know if I've learned the most from it, but I've. This is one that has I've had to pay a lot of attention to fairly recently as a leader, uh, as somebody running a company with a, a, a lot of people. 
who I'm working with. And um, I can't, I always have to relearn every working environment I go into. I have to relearn this lesson. If you're in a leadership position, which is I, my, my, my nature is collaborative. So if you come to me and say, Hey, Steven, I know we're working on this thing together, but I got this idea and I want to, I want to do this, 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 and this, and this. My natural instinct is fucking go for it. Absolutely. Try it out. Test it out. Check it out. You got it. You got to run with it. You obviously feel powerful about it. Um, that's actually the wrong thing to do if you actually if internally I'm having a this is never gonna work. I'm never I want this thing. Don't write, I want this thing. But my natural instinct is to be a nice guy and to just let them drive. But what I've realized is you want to say no at the front end, not when somebody's worked on it for three months, they're totally yeah. invested in, you know what I mean? But I I I make that mistake a lot in attempting to be cooperative and collaborative and nice. When I've learned that it's actually so much more effective to be, you know, cold, ruthless and brutal right up, right up front. So we don't have the problems later because everybody would much rather have their time back. Yeah. Right. And get it right. There's there's nothing that I've dragged out. No. When I knew the logical conclusion, thinking it would make it better where it was actually better. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know if that's the biggest one I've learned from, but I I, I learned that one again and again and again, you know, sort of where every, every time I sort of work with a new team, I sort of learn some version of that again. Awesome. All right, Steve, where can uh, people learn more about the book and your work? Where can they find you? NAR, by the way, this is, is short for gnarly, uh, yeah. which is action sports slang. So it's spelled G-N-A-R. So the website is narcountry.com. If you want to know more about me, stephencollard.com, you're Dying to learn more about flow and flow research and flow training, flowresearchcollective.com. All right, Stephen, thanks for joining us. Um, it's been super interesting to talk to you and can't wait to see about what you tackle uh, tackle next in your, in, in your 70s and 80s. Thanks, Robert. You can learn more about Stephen and his work on the episode page at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast.
or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.